Welcome to That Privacy Podcast, brought to you by OneTrust Data Guidance in association with Hogan Lovells. Good morning. Welcome to That Privacy Podcast. My name is David Longford of OneTrust Data Guidance, and thanks for listening in to this podcast. So this is actually the third episode of yep. That Privacy Podcast. Um, we're still here. Yep. We're still going. That's a couple of months later. Yep. And as usual, I'm joined by Alexis Katapidis, Global Privacy Director of OneTrust Data Guidance, and Eduardo Ustran, Global Co-Head of the Hogan Levels Privacy and Cybersecurity Practice. Hello. Hello. Good morning, gentlemen. So um, as usual, we're recording this uh, podcast from Eduardo's lovely office in London. And today we have an agenda filled with interesting observations and updates and kind of our own personal commentary, perhaps, uh, from the world of privacy and data protection. Today, we're going to be exploring a couple of areas of emerging technology uh, that present interesting challenges for privacy professionals, um, and also a look ahead to what we've got in terms of uh, conferences before the end of uh, the year. There's some interesting events and annual events taking place that we just thought we'd share with our audience and tell you why we'll be there and what we'll be doing. But first, just let's uh, let's just catch up. Um, mm-hmm. I think we've we've passed each other in corridors at various conferences <laughs> and said hello. In, in passing, so I know Alexis, you just got back from Munich. Yes, a week ago from yeah. the Data Protection Intensive. Yes, put on by the IAPP. Um, how was that? Yeah, very good. Yeah, I think it's the second year that they've ran it in Munich. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, we had a big team out there. It was really good. Um, yeah, I got to meet a whole bunch of interesting people. Predominantly, I was there uh, meeting with clients of ours, uh, contributors we work with. Um, obviously as part of our Thought Leaders in Privacy uh, video series. So was carrying out a lot of interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously been loads to discuss and catch up on over the summer. August was probably a pretty busy August comparative to a few years ago in our sphere. So yep. yeah, it was really good. Um, really enjoyed it. I mean, the team was, it was a busy couple of weeks. I mean, there's been conferences in Ireland and uh, Sweden and Berlin so yeah it's been a well you went to PSR as well yep Um, for those of you listening haven't been to PSR before it's privacy security risk it's the IPB's what would you say about a kind of tech focused conference I suppose on the west coast uh, this year in Las Vegas and um, that was interesting because I went there mainly with the idea that we'd be talking a lot about CCPA which of course we were and then uh, one of these so-called architects of CCPA, Alistair McTaggart, uh, I think he announced a proposal the night before the conference started for um, a so-called CCPA 2.0, which is not the actual name of the proposed new act, but is what people are generally calling it, a whole new level of um, um, uh, seriousness, I suppose you could say, for the, for the, uh, for the legislation in California. So that brings into play a lot of discussions around uh, having... Uh, an independent regulator for California and yeah. different types of data covered within the in the law. So really interesting chat. Uh, the week flew by. Um, and uh, were you there, Eduardo? I feel like no, no, I, I didn't I see you this there. year. No, <laughs> Usually, I, yes. I don't know if Las Vegas is my kind of. No, <laughs> <laughs> no but uh, I was seeing. I think you guys have been out and about more than than <laughs> I have in recent times. I was in in London for most of. September, okay. but um, lucky you. <laughs> yeah, well, sunny London. But there, there are other events coming up in now in October. Yeah. I'm going to Washington next week, and then Canada, and then of course the Albania conference. Yeah, uh, the, the Privacy Commissioners Conference. That yeah, we can talk about a bit more nice. later on. 
And what other things um, have you, you know, been really thinking about, let's say, in the last few weeks during September since school started again, if you like? Um, well, what would you say are the key things for people to be aware of in the, in the privacy world? Well, um, just last week we happened uh, to, to hear from the European Court of Justice on a number of fronts. So that uh, has already be, uh, been a big development. But we saw during the summer some investigations kicking in. Mm-hmm. The ICO certainly has been quite busy this summer. And I know you want to talk about emerging technologies and many of those investigations have to do with that. So I'm not sure we have had much of a summer in terms of uh, relaxation Mm -hmm. from privacy and data protection matters. But the, uh, of course, the the whole prospect of Brexit also looming and and the the implications that that has for data protection. So it's there are a number of things that are are, have moving parts. Going on, going on at the same time at the moment in terms of privacy developments that we can we can definitely cover. Yeah. Mm. Great. Okay. Um, so let's move on to just um, introduce a couple of the subtopics with uh, emerging te- technology that we want to talk about today. And the first one we thought we'd put into focus was facial recognition. Um, obviously, it's a, something that we're all getting progressively familiar with as a concept, probably in the last decade or so, as we've seen the, uh, the use of facial recognition uh, in various elements of our day-to-day lives, let's say. For example, um, I believe there's a number of airports around the world now which use facial recognition uh, to board you on the flight or get you past check-in or that kind of, um, that kind of use case. I think Atlanta is one of them. We were over there recently. And is, is London using it? Yeah, or, or is that... He uses it... Uh, um... Border control. Yeah, border control, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and many other use, personal and professional use cases besides. So I just thought we'd touch on some of the um, privacy considerations for facial rec- recognition, just to give everybody a kind of uh, 101 uh, sense of where we are at the moment in terms of how privacy law interacts with that technology. So why don't we start with uh, just some base level stuff. Alexis, what are some of the things that privacy professionals need to think about when working within their companies, say with facial recognition technology, or some of the principles within privacy law, and maybe in Europe that um, would apply. Yeah, I mean, I think um, one of the th- maybe one of the wider um, aspects that obviously gets pulled in with the whole facial recognition uh, discussion is obviously the the frameworks and the technologies that are supporting that. You know, when we talk about things like artificial intelligence and machine learning obviously really big aspects of any facial recognition algorithm. And I think that's, you know, I think there's been a lot of various things that have been happening just on the wider AI and machine learning sphere. I mean, last year, uh, things around ethics, I mean, we'll probably talk about it later, as you were saying, Eduardo, but the whole data ethics piece was very closely tied with artificial intelligence at the ICDPPC last year. Um, you know, the ICO here in the UK is looking at building an AI auditing framework. People like the Council of Europe have also been putting out uh, various recommendations. The OECD has also been involved in putting out guidelines for AI. So, you know, it's clearly a topic that regulators, industry professionals, you know, all of us are really thinking about and there's a lot of uh things to consider obviously i mean with when you're talking about 
trying to develop machine learning technologies, usually you're having a look at data sets, you know, and big data. Um, how does that tie in with principles of data minimization? And how do we balance um, things like that, proportionality and necessity for mm -hmm. the data? And how are we going to ensure that principles like transparency are um, adhered to that data subjects know how, uh, how an algorithm is working? But often it's difficult, I suppose, to... Yeah, I think... The issue with facial recognition, on top of everything you're saying, is that it has become a sensitive issue from our public perception yep. right. because it's, it's kind of close to this sort of 1984 type situation, cameras following mm. you, recognizing you and all that. And of course, that not really, facial recognition is, is not happening at that the scale, <laughs> but it, it, it does come across as a level of privacy intrusion that people worry about mm -hmm. and I think that's why it has attracted media attention not, and frankly not just in Europe but also in the US and, and right. all over the place and, and, and in Asia so the, there is that level of extra sensitivity around the cameras that we, we, we're used to seeing CCTV Mm -hmm. Everywhere, yeah. you know, and and we kind of ignore that, and we've got used to that, and you know, if that was ever uh, a privacy issue, it's like we we just ignore it. But I think facial recognition is different because, as you say, it relies on all this data that is gathered uh, and potentially the use of artificial intelligence and so on. But it it, it takes things that um, extra level, and from a legal perspective, you know, if you tell you aside from the perception, from a legal perspective, the great difference, of course, particularly since the GDPR, is that the collection of data, so the capturing images, which CCTV do already, mm -hmm. um, but capturing images in a way that then those images are used in order to recognize someone, a potential criminal or a person of interest, as the police would call them, that recognition, that automated recognition of, of faces, that hits into the use of biometric data. And what biometric data and the, and the, <clears throat> the new European framework is used to identify someone, then that becomes a special category of data, which right. is automatically more sensitive. So. It, from a, from a legal perspective, as well as a public perception perspective, is, is a bigger deal. Mm -hmm. mm. And I guess you know, the, the interesting thing about GDPR is, okay, I mean, obviously a longer time in the making, but even during the proposals and the dis discussions, you know, biometric data, like you say, was considered. Um, and now we're starting to see new pieces of legislation emerging that, or existing pieces of legislation from, you know, a few years ago that didn't necessarily have biometric data covered within their sphere of what constitutes personal data or personal information. But now it's being made very, very clear legislatively that biometric data now constitutes either special category data. So, I mean, now it's, it's definitely on the map. But it's interesting how, for example, if you take facial recognition and you try to regulate it to regulate it under the old data protection regime of the directive of the in the UK, the Data Protection Act, 1998. And then you try to do the same 
the same technology, the same data processing, and the new framework, the GDPR, and obviously in the UK, the 2018 Act, it changes radically because suddenly you have all these extra layer of obligations, some related to the fact that it's a special category of data, but other things like the requirement to do data protection impact assessments, mm -hmm. uh, proper um, legitimate interest mm -hmm. uh, assessment to make sure that you have a data protection officer that is aware of, of these issues uh, to really con look in more detail than ever before things like data minimization. You really, really, really need this type of technology to do whatever you're trying to do with it. So the new framework really addresses in a very significant and visible way the way in which in this type of technology operates. And that, that's what, what is interesting about, about what is happening at this moment in time. Yeah, and one of the things I think uh, a lot of people have been discussing, certainly from a UK uh, sort of European perspective in the last couple of years would be accuracy as well. So whilst facial recognition, I think we're talking a lot about the um, the consequences of people being identified. There's also a question mark over its utility at, at scale at the moment. I think I think we're not quite there in terms of how how sophisticated the technology is. But probably it's the privacy professional's job to think a couple of steps ahead. Um, well, even, yeah. But that, that point is very relevant to <clears throat> anything to do with artificial intelligence today. In the sense that artificial intelligence, again, has been developing probably since the 80s or earlier even. Mm. But the way in which artificial intelligence is being used today and is becoming more mainstream, that is happening at the same time at which is being developed which means that you need data, is your point, Alexis, you need data in order to make these technologies work and to, mm -hmm. to make them work accurately in particular. Mm -hmm. So all these new wonderful technologies that, that, are, 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 that exist today that we have in our pocket, you know, a lot, a lot of the things that we have in our pockets that help us uh, operate apps and things like that, they rely on data in order to function effectively. So we are at that, sta at that stage in, in sort of, I guess, human evolution and technological evolution where the technology needs that, that to be fed in a way that obviously we need to address how that feed of data is, going, is, is, is addressed from a regulatory perspective, from a, from a legal perspective. <coughs> and I think that's... Very, that's going to continue to happen for the foreseeable future mm -hmm. because more and more and more devices and technologies and the, the, the ways in which we go about our life are going to rely on, on that technology being fed with, with data about exactly how we go about our lives. Yeah. And there's an interesting article I was just reading on the weekend at one of the, the UK newspapers about about uh, facial recognition and the use of it in the retail space, which I think hasn't quite taken off yet. But I know a lot of big retailers are looking at deploying it to kind of deter shoplifting, etc. Mm -hmm. um, so that brings into play, yeah, the same principles of, of accuracy and transparency over you know, over data. Um, perhaps that's something I think we, we might see in the next six months, 12 months, um, more uh, evidence in our daily lives of facial recognition being used um, 
but still, as you said, Wada, we're still looking to make um, both the technology and our, our way of understanding the reg- how the regulation applies to it more sophisticated. I think that's maybe next year is really a year to think about this in a well, bigger well, sense. Frankly, this year you are already running with that. I mean, if there is something that there are some principles in, in the law, which in a sense you could say, well, they, are, they were there before in, in, the, in the directive, but the first three principles of the GDPR, um, what we used to call the Data Protection Act and Schedule 1 and all that, <laughs> transparency and fairness. So to, be, to make sure that people appreciate that this is the technology that's being used, that's one. Purpose limitation, so to make sure that you really stick to the purpose for which you say you're going to use it. Because it can be very tempting, you know, you, you start recognizing people and you know, the imagination uh, uh, sometimes uh, runs ahead of, uh, of, of good judgment. And then, but also probably the most important of all is data minimization. And the interesting thing is that there has already been some case law in this country about the use of facial recognition by the police. And it's very interesting that in the in that case, which involved the South Wales police in Cardiff, the use of the piloting mm-hmm. of facial recognition in Cardiff, basically the court, after a very, very long judgment that runs into, I don't know, like 80 pages or something like that, says, well, taking everything into account, we think that it was okay for the police to use this technology because they have been sufficiently transparent and it's for a very specific purpose and they were cautious and, and careful enough to deploy it in that way and it was a pilot anyway and, and all that. So it's not that this technology is unlawful to start with. Mm-hmm. It's just that you need to be really, really, really careful. And if you look at that judgment in particular, I mean, that's just for the, for the police, which in itself you may say, well, they may have a greater justification to use that technology, that very intrusive technology, than other um, commercial uses of that. Mm-hmm. that. That's a fair point. But when you look at what the police um, are trying to do, is they're basically trying to deploy technology in the same way they have always tried to deploy technology from the days they started, I don't know, collecting fingerprints mm-hmm. um, you know, to, to achieve their ends. And to the extent that that deployment of technology is proportional, is for that particular purpose, is used in a way that you can demonstrate it really helps with the, with the purpose, and you can manage that level of previous intrusion, then yes, it's okay. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's, that's where the, the debate is going to, to go about. Like how, how carefully do you manage privacy intrusion, and, mm-hmm. and, and how, uh, how faithful are you to things like data minimization? Mm-hmm. That, that's going to be a big theme. And coming back to just speculating on the retail idea, I suppose that uh, on your minimization point, you'd have to be pretty sure that shoplifting that could be addressed through facial recognition, um, that the whole project would be effective enough to deploy at scale to affect all those other people who go into whatever shop they want to go into and, and don't commit a crime. You know, that, that's really the key, is it how much are we using it and is it going to be effective in stopping what we're doing and is it you know, proportionate to the rest of the population who clearly have nothing to do with this activity? Yeah, I mean, but I think we, we, need, we always need to be wary of this. Well, if you haven't done anything wrong, you don't have anything to worry about. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something that, yeah, it is true up to a point. Mm-hmm. And the, the, I mean, the law is there for, for a reason. And the law 
and I always say this, the law doesn't stop you from using technology just for the sake of it. The, the law is there to regulate that you use the technology in a way that is proportionate to, to the aims. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think, yes, in that case, it was in the, in the South Wales police case, one of the big arguments was that ultimately, even though it is the technology was scanning everyone's faces, it was only focusing on retaining the data of those that match the image that the, of, of, that the poli- of the individual that the police was after. So mm-hmm. immediately after the, the scanning, as it were, mm-hmm. if you were a suspect that was dis- dis- discarded. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so maybe that's a way in which, you know, technologically you can try to minim- minimize that previous intrusion. But again, that's something that is still under, under development. Yeah. yeah. And how do you see, because I mean, obviously the... ICO is probably one of those regulators that's been um, quite actively involved over the last year in these kinds of discussions around AI and machine learning. I mean, historically, they have been as well. They, they issued their guidance, you know, quite a few years ago under the old Data Protection Act, having a look at things like CCTV and body-worn cameras and big data, obviously, maybe... Um, due an update now um, but you know they are having a look at things like the AI auditing framework they've uh, opened their discussions and um, announced a regulatory sandbox to try and um, encourage uh, organizations from public and private to come forward and look at the different technologies that they're exploring to I guess hopefully gain some confidence around and legal certainty around you know how to address those kinds of issues do you see those things continuing to move forward because obviously it's quite a lot of you know resource how do you and technology will continue to change and evolve and you know there are always going to be questions open and now it you know it's great to have uh sandboxes opening up but will they become do you think something that's very similar to a, a DPIA in case something gets flagged that, okay, this is our consultation time now with the supervisory authority. We're going to go with them with this new piece of technology and we're going to get some advice or guidance. Well, I certainly hope so. Yeah, I, I think the attitude that the ICO has to these issues, I think is, is very mature in the sense that um, they first appreciate that you cannot stop technology. You know, in the past, I have had meetings with regulators in other European places where I've been told to, to my face, well, we just need to stop the internet kind of thing. Maybe, you know, that happened a few years ago. <laughs> you can't. Yeah. The reality is you can't. It's just you know, it's like um, people are people and, and, and you cannot stop human progress, you know, that's, that's, that's a reality. That doesn't mean that you can say, okay, well, there's nothing we can do about it, so that we're, we're going to end up in, in the 1984 type situation in, right. in, in less than five years. No, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, okay, so if you're a regulator and you are tasked with precisely regulating the use of data, personal data, how do you do that in a way that is effective and, and, and take taking into account this the way in which technology is developing. Well, you need to first understand the technology, and that's where this whole idea of the sandboxing and, and, and the, the regulators being open to say, well, 
tell us a bit how your technology works. Yeah, we're, we're not here to, to tell you you cannot do it, but we want to understand it. Yeah. But also, perhaps even more important than just understanding the technology, is to um, create a sort of climate where businesses involved in this see it as more positive to them to be transparent and to be mm-hmm. open or open to regulatory scrutiny at that level mm-hmm. of the development than to say, well, we're not going to tell the regulator about this because this is just so good that um, we're just going to do it anyway. And then, and then be shocked if suddenly you get um, a, a nasty letter with 25 questions from a regulator saying, you know, we don't think what you're doing is, 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 is such a good idea. Yeah. So I think um, the ICO, to summarize, the, the ICO is showing a level of maturity that I think needs to be much by the companies that are, are developing this. Mm-hmm. And that's certainly my message to, to my clients and to anyone that is, is hesitant to, to engage with a regulator at that level. Good. Okay, thanks. So let's move on to another area of uh, emerging technology. Um, I think this year I've probably been uh, aware of at least two different uh, viral apps that kind of get sent around to everybody uh, that do a very particular and interesting and slightly unnerving thing. Um, And each of them, in each case, it's to uh, take a photo of you or your friend or whatever and uh, superimpose your face on whatever famous actor or actress you you're presented with in the app and that's the kind of the fun of it that's the game of it and it's one of those things that um before you know it you know probably a few million people worldwide have used and everybody's still scratching their heads to work out you know what is this technology and and why am i being asked if i want to use it etc now um yeah (laughs) i've seen these things from afar (laughs) not something i've ever tried but obviously that's as something that for me is very 2019 and probably even 2015, 16, we weren't even thinking too much about. So this whole area we're calling, um, well, is, is known as deep fakes. Yeah. And we thought we'd just bring this into the discussion today because um, it's probably something we're going to be talking a lot more about in the future. And so, yeah. you've, you've been having some in- interesting discussions about it this year or the last few months. Well, the thing is, uh, deep fake, deep fakes is not something that, it's been approached from a data protection perspective or data protection compliance perspective mm-hmm. and is behind all the, all the technologies we, we, we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. And there is an element about it which is, oh, it's so cool and what you're talking about and, and maybe we're all thinking, okay, which movie character would we <laughs> want to lend our face to? You know, which one? Which one? You know, we, you know maybe, maybe you can, you could be yeah, Chewbacca. Right. Or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, handsome version of one. But um, no, but but seriously, the of course, the use of personal data in order to then create an image of some of someone and then try to, you know, of course, the, the danger. That um, you know, deep fakes, particularly in this context right now of misinformation and fake news and all that, in the, particularly in the context of um, elect- elections and democratic processes and all that, I can see that there is a real danger of in- superimposing someone's face, uh, and then you have who you may think is a, a responsible political leader saying something outrageous and then people thinking, oh my God, I'm, not, I'm never going to vote for that person mm. again. Yeah. So of course, 
that, that, that's part of the, of the fear and the, the impact that that will have on the democratic process. Mm-hmm. And other things, even perhaps even more serious than that. But the, I think data protection is a legal framework that has an impact on this and affects this. Because data protection is about using personal data, which is this is this is that people's faces, mm-hmm. and there are some principles. And in the same way we were talking earlier about transparency and data minimization, and so on, right. where there is a principle of, of accuracy. And if you are portraying, if you're using someone else's face to portray a fake message, it is your responsibility as a data controller um, the fact that you are not using data accurately. I mean, not much thought has gone into that, but that's something that I can imagine um, would be regulated, would be caught by data protection law. Mm. The ability to to, to make fake um, people, mm. images of people. And we, I mean, we could... We could spend an hour talking about potential misuse of this type of technology. I mean, we've talked. You talked about political um, use in political uh, situations to mimic opponents or anything like that. You could even bring it down to the family level. So, I don't know, in a family law case, you could have evidence in a divorce case, let's say, presented. Uh, you could imagine it, yeah. it could be quite interesting that the technology could be misused in in many different ways to present the, the opponent in any situation as. Um, in whatever way but let's just from your experience when you look at emerging technology you know in your years working in this area do you think usually it takes an incident to, to provoke um, higher levels of regulation or do you think in something like deep fakes anyone who's sensible could imagine it the misuse being there so do you think it with something where it's so obvious that it could be misappropriated that the regulation does move ahead of the actual events, if that makes sense. So we don't have to wait for a, for you know something terrible to happen with an election or something to, to say, right, we need to do something about this. Just how, what's your gut on that? How does that how does it usually play out? Well, I mean, I guess the, the fact that we're already discussing it, maybe some decision makers will listen to this conversation <laughs> and say, oh yeah, this is a big deal. Um, but. Um, we live in hope. The problem is that, um, or the challenge <clears throat> is always that law it moves much more slowly than technology. And I don't, there isn't anything controversial about that statement. So you need the way in which you address that challenge is you need to be able to interpret the law and use the law in a way that addresses the technological challenges in a sensible way. You know, and, and the other thing I always say is that the law is not in conflict with common sense. So if there is, uh, a, a, again, a technological development that appears to be um, sort of affected by a law, that law also needs to have uh, it needs to be interpreted in, in, in a way that is sensible and that uh, achieves the, the aim that the law was trying to achieve, not, not a different aim. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big believer in, in, in you know, this whole principle of, um, sort of technological neutrality in the law, because simply because you just cannot address every single technological issue with a, with a, with a specific law. And 
it's just it's no it's not going to happen. Obviously, what happens when that happens is that then when things become big enough and a law is proven to be not quite right to address that issue, then yes, you may have uh, a new initiative, new legislative initiatives to deal with that. And yeah, we've seen that. And, um, and people could say that you know, the cookie law was aimed at doing that. And you know, we've heard a lot about the cookie law, the cookie consent in the past week or so. So yeah, but it, it's the right balance between making sure that we don't get obsessed about regulating everything specifically mm-hmm. and ensuring that the existing laws, the existing frameworks address those new issues in a sensible way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and looking to existing laws and frameworks first rather than rushing to create uh, a solution for a problem we don't fully understand yet. Well, exactly, and a problem that by the time we understand it and we've managed to address it is moved on to mm-hmm. become a different problem. Yeah. Interesting. So, as you said a few minutes ago, uh, Eduardo, a lot of the technology we're talking about is kind of driven by, wrapped up in artificial intelligence, machine learning, etc. I know, Alexis, you've been looking at that quite a lot over the last six months or so. We've got a specific series looking at emerging technology. What are the sort of things that spring to your mind from from all that work when you're talking about deep fakes and facial recognition? What are the sort of things that spring to your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think um, uh, nothing really more to add on what Eduardo has been saying. I think there's, uh, I think for a lot of organizations and clients that we've been speaking to, it's it's exploratory, a lot of it. Um, they're thinking about uh, lots of different things. And I think, you know, it's it's moving very, very fast. And I think it's quite difficult to to keep up with and you know i think what the clients that i speak to i think you know exactly as you were saying about being in favor of technology pieces of new uh, legislation the gdpr i think you know um after all the debate and discussion around it over the years and you know i think already it's starting to play a really really huge part of internal discussions because as you were saying earlier eduardo you know it really it's not that anything is like hugely different but it really does put at the forefront a lot of the principles that were enshrined under the directive of the data protection act really at the forefront and i think you know whether it's the legislation that's done that or internal awareness um you know they are thinking about things like transparency and purpose limitation and data minimization so yeah yeah, and it's interesting when you take the example of these silly apps that put your face on Leonardo DiCaprio's face or whatever it is, that when you look at the app uh, in a GDPR context, you have to think about you know, who's the controller here, who's the processor, what's the legitimate basis for processing, etc., etc. So I think by doing that, we'll get to a point where we can work out, is there enough of a framework here to, to regulate this properly? We're probably a bit earlier. We haven't had any privacy analyst questions about deep fakes yet, I don't believe, Alexis. No. But not yet. End of the year, I reckon. We'll <laughs> okay. get one through. So, yeah. Good stuff. Okay, let's move on from that kind of section on emerging technology and just um, kind of wrap up the, the podcast with a look ahead to an interesting event that um, we've been attending, all of us here, for a number of years on and off. It takes place in some very interesting places around the world. And the, the name of the event is the ICDPPC. Alexis, can you explain what the event is we're talking about uh, and break down who goes and, and you know why we will be going this year? 
Yeah, so um, it's the International Conference of Data Protection and Privacy Commissioners, one of our, uh, you know, uh, we quite like acronyms, I think, in the, well, I certainly do in the... the <laughs> in the privacy present, world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the ICDPPC is uh, quite a nice one. Uh, How do you say it so quickly? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I've only been going for the last, you know, three or four years, actually, um, and... You know, it's a gathering of the regulators. I think, you know, this year is the 41st um, of the conferences. And, you know, I think it gives uh, a nice time and space for regulators to meet up, discuss uh, various different things that have been, you know, happening in their own particular jurisdictions. I think a little bit at a wider scale of how all of these various jurisdictional issues come together at a global level. Um, obviously, there are a lot of other global initiatives out there between supervisory authorities and cooperation mm -hmm. and enforcement. Um, but I think this conference specifically gives a chance for everybody to um, come forwards and talk about things under an umbrella theme. I mean, last year, as we mentioned, it was in the context of data ethics and was very, very fascinating. I think it was the first time that I had seen perhaps um, uh, attendees from a lot of other places, uh, a lot of other organizations as well. It was, you know, the 40th. It was a, it was a big event so in of itself. Private sector present and involved yeah. in discussions. Yep. Yeah. Um, and this year, um, I th you know, I think the theme is raising global standards in the digital age. So, you know, I, I expect to see some very similar discussions of what we've been having here today about emerging technologies. Um, I think, you know, the last year has definitely reflected a lot of movement from various different regulators to issue guidelines or issue recommendations in this area. So, um, yeah, uh, it's uh, middle of October. I think it's mm -hmm. uh, kicks off on the 21st of October, right yep. up to the 24th. Um, and taking place in Albania this year. Yeah, in yep. Tirana. Um, so, yeah, a couple of weeks away, actually. Yeah, they change the location every year. I'm not quite sure how it's decided, actually. It's, um, the, is it a... So, it's always hosted by one of the data protection authorities mm -hmm. around the world. And sometimes someone will volunteer and say, yeah, I want to do it next year. Right. Other times they need to kind of... Uh, convince uh, why don't you uh, organize one? We don't want to go to Mauritius, <laughs> but um, no, as you're saying, it's it's a really interesting annual event because I think it's a sort of event where you go there to hear about the big topics and it's, it's about thinking big, yeah. It's not the kind of place you go and to try to learn about how to do a data protection impact assessment or right. dealing with subject sure. access rights or, or things like that. It's, it's not a practical conference, it's more of a almost philosophical conference where right. the, the big thing. So, from that perspective, if that is your sort of thing, <laughs> uh, you'll be, you'll be in, in, in heaven. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, what is also useful, of course, is because it's the data protection and Privacy Commissioners Conference, all of them are there. Right. And you can interact with them, and you can hear what, they, what they're saying, and you can, you can hear their collective thinking. Mm -hmm. And particularly now, where regulators in this space are more powerful than ever before, I think it's really important to, to, to really 
pay attention to what they are saying and, and the way in which they are thinking and all this stuff that we've been talking about, about new technologies and, and these big principles and all that, how they are thinking about these issues and what they are truly concerned about is very useful because then it really helps you uh, understand how to do it. Mm-hmm. And if you are working in a, in, in a company or advising a company in this, in this area, is hearing directly from the regulators what their thoughts and their worries are is something that you can take into account when deciding how much effort you put into getting this into doing the right things basically yeah. so I think um, from that perspective it's a useful forum for, for sure yeah very different kind of event very valuable in, in this way yeah mm. I think last year for me as Alexis said we, we've been going for a number of years um we certainly haven't been going for 41 years, no. but uh, we, were, we weren't there right at the start. Um, but for the number of events, uh, annual conferences I've attended, I felt like last year was a, a diff- had a different feel about it, perhaps because of the uh, kind of media attention that was generated by the event. Um, it, it took place in Brussels at the European Parliament, which kind of you know, added, I suppose, the venue added to a, a feeling of importance around it. And then, of course, the um, the speakers and the attendees mm-hmm. uh, there. I mean, Tim Cook from Apple uh, came and, and spoke about the need for greater privacy regulation, um, among various various other kind of non-typical speakers, I would say, at, at this uh, ICD-PPC event. So, interesting, maybe that's... Um, that's what this event might become in the next few years, a sort of a, a place where it takes on, a, as you said, uh, well, it's already got this kind of philosophical angle. And it, to me, it took on a slightly political angle uh, last sure. year, which is very interesting. And it's also, there is also something that almost after each of these events, something comes out of it. Mm-hmm. So there is always a resolution by sure. the international conference. Yep. And sometimes it's more than, it's more than yes. one resolution. So you can see what the regulators are going to focus on over the next year. Yeah. Um, and some of these conferences in, in past years have been very influential mm-hmm. in shaping the regulatory policy of many of these regulators. Mm-hmm. And I think this one, which, as you're explaining, the focus is on, on harmonizing the, the, the global approach and that sort of thing, that will also be influential because we're going to see perhaps... A, a real effort by regulators from all over the world to try to harmonize their positions, to share intelligence, to coordinate their efforts. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, we're going to see more, more of that. Yeah. yeah, the really interesting thing for me, actually, if listeners want to go onto the, the website of the conference, it's privacyconference2019.info, and um, the sort of subtext says it's... Um, going to include conversation about how laws are emerging which is kind of a really fascinating area we all talk about quite regularly and you know what factors drive the creation of privacy law is it yeah. uh, top down uh, or is it you know civil rights focused or yeah various various things super i think that brings us to the end of our um our chat for today thanks everybody for for tuning in this is the third episode of that privacy podcast and we'll be back Fairly soon with the next, um, probably around the time of the ICD PPC conference, we'll try and have a, a catch up maybe afterwards and uh, yep. just uh, get a feel for what we're working on at the moment and um, and uh, the outcomes of those um, conference resolutions. So just leaves me to thank Eduardo for hosting us again and uh, Alexis for your company. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.
That Privacy Podcast, brought to you by OneTrust Data Guidance in association with Hogan Lovells.